When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. From Equitymates Media, this is The Dive. I'm your host, Sasha Kelly. We are getting towards the end of earnings season. For those who are unfamiliar, earnings season or reporting season, it's that time of year when publicly listed companies come forward and tell the world how they're going, how much they've sold, how much they've spent, and what they've got left over in profit. Christmas, it only comes once a year, but earnings season, it's here four times over. And with thousands of companies reporting, it can be so overwhelming to keep up. And it can also be hard to find the story amongst the sea of numbers, the charts and all the jargon. So today, I've asked the Equitymates team to each come up with one big storyline or takeaway from reporting season. Basically, the one thing that I should know. It's Wednesday, the 24th of August. And today I want to know what have been the three biggest storylines or takeaways from earnings season. To start with, I'm joined by the co-founder and my colleague here at Equity Mates. It's Bryce Lesky. Bryce, what's my first big takeaway or story for today? Well, Sasha, it's all about looking beyond the headlines. It's all about retail inflation and interest rates are having an impact. Now, it's no secret here at Equity Mates Media that I love retail. You do love retail. <laughs> Investing what you know, I know retail. But inflation in interest rates, you can't escape hearing about them. We've done plenty of content on it. So for me, it's been interesting to see the impact that both have had on us, the consumers, and then the flow and effect that this is having for retailers. Spending by consumers makes up nearly 70% of the economy's output that's over in the US, which is a reason why the central banks try to slow our spending to control inflation rates. And the combination of inflation and drastic interest rate rises does seem to be working. Headlines this reporting season, Sasha, have been around retailers seeing strong revenue growth, which, you know, certainly true, But it is important to have a look beyond the headlines as an investor. What does this actually translate to? Retail sales are falling across major economies as higher prices and interest rates are forcing consumers to be more cautious with their spending. So what is the impact of these uh, factors all at play at the same time? So inflation is pushing people to discount retailers. If you think about where we may have been shopping when things were all fine and dandy, consumers are now rethinking where they're spending. Walmart, for example, Aldi, all these discount retailers and places that offer non-discretionary products are where people are starting to spend their money. So we're moving from the M&S uh, food hall maybe <laughs> to Tesco or Sainsbury's. Okay. That's what's going on? Correct, correct. We're spending less on high margin discretionary products like clothing, and instead really just spending on necessities such as food. And an example of this in reporting season is playing out at Walmart. There's a Walmart arising after beating on earnings for the second quarter as a retail giant increased revenue by 8% year over year. Total revenue was $152.9 billion for the three-month quarter and uh, up 8.4%. Profit down though, Sasha, 6.8% to $6.9 billion. And this is an example of where we're spending on items that don't give you as much uh, margin. 
So if people are spending on lower margin, non-discretionary items, why are revenues still up? So for most retailers, inflation is what is actually pushing revenues up. And the question is, well, how does this translate? As prices of products that they stock go up in price, obviously, naturally, that means that retailers' revenues will benefit from this. And the numbers here are incredibly strong. For the quarter, the company coming in with earnings per share of $5.05. That's compared to the consensus estimate of $4.94, so a significant beat by $0.11. Home Depot is an example of this. They're the largest home improvement retailer over in the United States. Revenue was up 3%. Same-store sales up almost 6%. Profit down. Same story as Walmart. But there is a warning, and it's interesting to note that while revenue is up, the total number of uh, transactions actually dropped 14 million uh, transactions compared to this time last year. So what we're seeing is less transactions, but the value of those transactions going up due to inflation and prices pushing revenues higher and higher. So it's a really interesting dynamic that we're seeing playing out in the retail space. Yeah. So those people at Home Depot buying the same spade and bucket that they were last year, it's just more expensive this time. Yeah. So what about all the retailers who benefited from COVID lockdowns? Uh, I'm thinking all those homewares, furniture, arts and arts and craft stores certainly got to work out from me. <laughs> How are they going? Yeah, so if you were in business of uh, homewares during COVID, you'd be laughing. But now as consumers cut back on discretionary spending and move to necessities and other categories like travel, some of these businesses are struggling to cycle the same sales numbers they did during COVID. Temple and Webster, one of uh, Australia's largest online online furniture retailers here in Australia. They posted full year revenue up 31%. Profit was down. They had more customers shopping with them as well, but it is starting to unwind. Revenue um, for the June quarter, uh, sales tumbled 21% last month and uh, fell 17% in the first two weeks of August. So they're really battling to keep up with some of the numbers that were coming through during COVID as people are no longer looking at the couch that needs to be replaced while they're working from home and thinking about other things. So yeah, it's an interesting time for retail. We're certainly seeing an impact of inflation and interest rates, which at the end of the day is what the central banks want want to see. So what's your key lesson then, if you're going to wrap it up all in a nice, neat little bow for me? Well, I think it's just important to understand some of the numbers that are being reported. You know, it's, it's easy to see headlines, revenues up, profits down, but what does that actually mean for you as an investor? With an environment like this, in inflation, in high interest rates. There are going to be some winners. There are going to be some losers. Thanks, Bryce. Next up, I'm joined by my colleague, Darcy Cordell. Darcy, welcome. And what story do you have for me today from reporting season? Thanks, Sasha. I've got the most profitable company in the world that you may not have actually heard of. Well, I don't even know who the most profitable company in the world is. So I suspect you've done some due diligence and found a really good name for me. Okay, so you don't know the most profitable company in the world, Sasha, but give me a guess. What are some names that spring to mind when you do think of the most profitable companies? Well, I'm going to go with with one of the big ones, which would be, you know, Apple or Google, someone in the tech sector that we use every day that has a global presence. Am I close? You're definitely not wrong there. I would usually jump to tech too, but today we're talking about Saudi Aramco. They've just blown some of those names completely out of the water. Last week, the company reported a profit of 48 billion US dollars between April and June this year. That's only like three months right? Three months and profit. That is bottom line profit. Unbelievable. I need to give that number a bit more context. And this is the stat that really stumped me. 
Saudi Aramco made $700 million profit every single day from April to June. That's an obscene amount of money, Darcy. We'll put it in context with those tech companies we mentioned before. Saudi Aramco, on a yearly basis, they make $122 billion profit, or they have over the past year. Apple is in second place. They're just under $100 billion at 99.6. Then we've got Microsoft a little further back at 72.7 and Alphabet as well, around $72 billion profit. So this Saudi Aramco number is just blowing them out of the water. The $48 billion profit was a 90% jump on the same period last year where they made $25.5 billion profit. And this is the highest quarterly profit by a publicly listed company reported in history. But Darcy, I guess the question is, who are they? Yeah, so they're the biggest oil company in the world and they're based in Saudi Arabia. The company is 95% owned by the Saudi government. So they've got $48 billion in profit. What happens to that now? Well, after this result that they reported last week, they said they'd be paying out an almost $19 billion dividend, the bulk of which will go to the Saudi government and their sovereign wealth fund. And that fund invests in projects like the new city of Neom, which we've talked about on the dive recently, and also a bunch of US stocks. I thought I recognised that name. That must be the connection that's in the back of my mind. We'll definitely put a link to that episode about Neom in the show notes if you'd like to find out more. So the main reason Saudi Aramco has made this much profit is the soaring oil and gas prices caused by the war in Ukraine. Is that right? Yeah, that's definitely the major factor. Western governments are trying to wean themselves off Russian energy supplies and they've been trying to find other sources for energy. That's created further demand for oil from other suppliers who aren't sanctioned and that includes Saudi Arabia. But Saudi Aramco also has advantages in their profit margins. They've got a particularly low cost of production. Most of its oil is sourced from easy-to-tap onshore fields or in shallow waters, which boosts their profitability. Okay, so they're the biggest for a reason. Their costs are lower than those companies who have to work harder to extract oil and gas in deeper waters and mines. Yeah, that's right. But they're certainly not the only oil giant to rake in the profits this year. Mm -hmm. Some other highlights from reporting season. Shell, they last month reported a £10 billion profit between those three months, April and June, a record for the FTSE 100 firm. And BP's profits almost tripled to £7 billion in the same period. And then, of course, we've got to finish with ExxonMobil, the American multinational oil and gas company. They made about $18 billion profit in the second quarter, and it led to a very interesting quote from US President Joe Biden. Exxon made more money than God this year. So, Darcy, we're framing this episode about three big takeaways that we learnt during reporting season, and I think this one is it's a good time to be in the oil business. That's the takeaway. But it is important to note that oil prices have dropped recently over the past couple of months, so this reporting season might be the peak. Saudi Aramco will still be the most profitable company in the world, maybe just a little bit less profitable next time around, Sasha. Still a little bit less profitable than $48 billion is <laughs> still pretty impressive. I yep. don't think we should sneeze at that. All right, two lessons learned and one to go. I'll be joined by my colleague Alec Renahan in just a few minutes and he's going to tell me his favourite story from this reporting season. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to The Dive. We're talking about reporting season and I'm joined by my colleague Alec Renahan, who I'm not going to say I've saved the best for last, but the challenge is set. I'm, I've got high expectations. Alec, what's the best story you've come across this reporting season? Hey, Sasha. Well, I think Darcy and Bryce have set the bar quite high for me. The most profitable company ever. Some of the most well-known uh, companies out there. I'm going to take a little bit of a different tact. What's one of the most annoying businesses you can think of? Oh, um, telemarketers. Telemarketers. <laughs> uh, these are the modern day equivalent of telemarketers, digital ads. Oh, yeah. Yep, and the yep, digital yep. ad market is struggling except for one big company. No prizes for guessing who that is, but we'll get there. But Sasha, first of all, I'm going to explain why digital ads matter because as much as we find them annoying, they give us a really good sense of where the economy is going. When businesses are struggling, the first budget to be cut is often the marketing budget. And when businesses are going well, that's the first budget that gets really beefed up. So it's a good canary in the coal mine to understand what's happening. But also, as much as we don't want to admit it, most of our favourite platforms rely on digital ads. So if we want to keep enjoying free social media and free internet search, we have to deal with digital ads. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Instagram is basically just a catalogue now, a digital catalogue that I look through and go, oh, I could buy that. Oh, I could buy that. <laughs> so I know I'm definitely guilty of falling for this trap. So Sasha, in this earnings season, we heard a number of digital ads business report. We heard Google, we heard Meta, which own Instagram and Facebook. Uh, we heard Snap, we heard Pinterest and Twitter. And there have been a number of factors weighing on the digital ads market for all of these players. Apple changed a privacy setting about 18 months ago that makes it harder to collect our data and then harder to target ads at us. You wouldn't know that by my uh, feed. I'm getting a lot of robo vacuum content at the moment. So someone's clearly <laughs> seen my shopping, <laughs> my shopping history. <laughs> yeah, well, they can still collect some data, clearly. So that's first one. And then the second one is the general economic weakness. Bryce spoke about this earlier with inflation and interest rates. So those two factors have been weighing on the market. And we saw all but one company report pretty weak results. So walk me through what the lay of the land is then. So Snap, the owner of Snapchat, reported 13% growth in revenue for the quarter. Not bad, but compare that to 38% last time they reported. They're definitely slowing down. Their share price fell 25%. Meta, the owner of Facebook and Instagram, reported the first revenue drop in their history from $28.9 billion to $28.8 billion. Their share price fell 5%. Pinterest, revenue grew 9%. Not bad, but it was the slowest revenue growth in two years. Their share price fell 11%. And Twitter, analysts expected Twitter's digital ads to grow. It actually shrunk. Their share price also fell 11%. Oh, it's not good when you go the wrong way from what people are expecting. Okay, so you've... You've set the scene. You said there's one that beats expectations. From the list you said earlier, I'm suspecting it might be Google. Am I on the right track? The one company that bucked the digital ads troubles, Google. 
They grew their ads business uh, 12%. They grew their overall business 13%. They made almost $70 billion in revenue for the quarter. That was up 4%. Google keeps on keeping on despite the trouble in the broader business. So why are they different? to all the other companies why are they going in the other direction so i think it's all about search they don't need as much data on us you know facebook instagram snapchat they need to collect a lot of data they need to know about us to then target things when we're just generally scrolling a feed but when we search for something on google that gives away our intention a lot of the time that shows what we're looking for and so google don't need to know a lot about us they just need to match adds up with relevant search terms. So I think that's why Google have been able to buck the trend a little bit. That makes sense because Google definitely would know that I searched robo vacuums under $500, robo vacuums under $400, (laughs) best robo vacuums of 2022. So Instagram's not getting that data. Yeah, that's it. Now, Sasha, talking about data, I've tried to shoehorn this data in because I found it interesting. Uh, But speaking about the digital ads business and the platforms that they support, Pew did a recent survey of American teenagers and what platforms they use. And there were three really interesting takeaways. The first one is that Facebook is dying. 71% of teenagers in 2015 said they used Facebook. That's just 32% today. Whoa, that is a drop. Second key takeaway is that TikTok is beating many of its peers. 67% of US teens use TikTok compared to 62% for Instagram and 59% for Snapchat. But Sasha, the third takeaway, and again reminding us that Google is just so big and so powerful, the number one platform for US teens, TikTok was at 67%. YouTube is at 95%. 95% of US teens surveyed said they use YouTube. Just a reminder of how big Google is. (laughs) That is astonishing. Well, certainly a lot of food for thought there, Alec. I think I'm not going to award any prizes today uh, between the three of you, but just so much information that you've managed to find out of reporting season. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please tell a friend about it. It really is the best way for a podcast to grow. And if you're listening because you've been referred, then welcome. We have a growing back catalogue that is well worth checking out. Our last three episodes have been about the race to put satellites above our heads to get us internet all across the world, what's happening in the world of streaming, and the revival of WeWork's Adam Newman and his new billion dollar idea. So make sure you go have a listen. Remember as well, you can contact us on Instagram at thedive.businessnews. You can reach us by email, thedive at equitymates.com. And you can subscribe wherever you're listening right this second so you never miss an episode. Thanks so much for Darcy and Bryce for joining me today. And Alec, thank you for being the last one in the hot seat. Thanks, Sasha. Until next time. The Dive is a product of Equity Mates Media. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of The Dive acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The hosts of The Dive are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.